When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions on rehearsal dinner invitations, we ones wailing at weddings, being a good graduation weekend guest, and potluck problems. Plus, we've got your feedback, etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment on planning a wedding reception seating chart. All that, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Bill Post, sitting in for Dan Post-Senning. Uncle Bill, I am so glad that you are back with us this week. I thought it was one of our best shows, so I'm thrilled to have you here again. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I absolutely love doing the show. I'm happy for you to call me anytime you need some <laughs> some help when when either either you or Danny isn't around. I love doing it. Oh, thank you so much. You and I were prepping for the show last night, and I I was going to fill everyone in about the New York trip and all last week. And but you actually saw some etiquette going on this weekend that I thought was was really relevant and worth bringing up. It's little league season. People are going to lots of games and things like that, and the parents aren't always the best behavior when it comes to their their children at, at exactly. Exactly. I, on Saturday, I went to a Little League game, which my grandson was participating in. And this was uh, this particular age group was, I think, seven to nine. Okay. My, my grandson's eight. And my wife and I went to the game. And I just saw some behavior that, while it wasn't as egregious as you sometimes see at professional sporting events or even at, right. even at other high school events, that where fans were a little bit harsh on the umpire, who was just a 15-year-old kid. Ugh. And one of the coaches was a little bit harsh on the kids on his team. And I just thought that it's sort of a cliche in American culture now that these outbursts of incivility from parents towards coaches, towards referees, or towards kids on the field are happening a lot. And while the game I was at wasn't over the top, there were comments that were made to the umpire, which I thought were out of line. And I thought that the coach being overbearing with some of his kids was a little out of line. And I just wanted to remind people that these are games and these are this is not life and death and that it's not okay to forget about etiquette or to forget about consideration and respect when you're attending an athletic event, whether it's your own children involved or whether it's some game that you've paid tickets to go see. So right. Uh, I'd love to see the the incivility toned down at, at, these at, at those of kinds games. of events. It's funny how much these are these are supposed to be chances for kids to really learn good sportsmanship. At this age group, it's not so much about the ability. No one's trying to hit a homer as a seven year old. You right. know, I mean, cool if you do, but like you it know, doesn't happen much. Let me tell you. <laughs> I think what you described to me was a scene of the kids who were pitching couldn't pitch far enough to hit the plate, so everyone was either striking out or walking. That's exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> Exactly what was like, happening. We're not. We're just not dealing with a level here that needs to then be fought over by a parent or defended by for a parent. And there's certainly a time and a place, right? I mean, if you're disappointed with the way the coach is treating the children, or if you're disappointed about the the fairness going on on the field, those are things you want to bring up during a calm and collected conversation afterwards, not in the moment. Well said. When you're like in the stands yelling at a coach. You know, on the field or yelling at the kids or the umpire. You mentioned the umpire was like 15 years old. Right. That's really tough. I yeah, mean, that's well said. The time to handle that is 
in a more measured way after the game. After the game. Yeah. So we really hope that as many of you are attending Little League games all across the country, that you remember this in your own behavior. Yeah, enjoy the game and exactly. be supportive of the kids and leave the umpire alone. And you know what? This doesn't end at Little League. I actually just had NFL Films Presents was up here this past week filming with us about player etiquette on the field. And what was fascinating was we were talking about all these same things, comments made between players, comments made from coaches to players, and also comments to the ref. And where is the etiquette with all of with all of these aspects of the game? Yeah, and as you're aware, Lizzie, a little while ago in a professional baseball game between the Red Sox and the Orioles, the Red Sox fans got really, really heavily critical of the center fielder for the Orioles, Adam Jones, and they were hurling racial epithets at him. It was right back to the Jackie Robinson days. This is not what was happening in this little game. Right, of course. But but it, it goes to show that as you go up in the spectrum, this can get worse and worse. You can really escalate to very, very wrong behavior. But my real point was, yeah. look, at Little League games, just support the kids, yeah. enjoy the game, and don't worry about bad calls or what you think is bad activity by yeah. the, uh, by the coaches. These are seven yeah. and nine-year-olds. Yeah. Well, with that said, how do you feel about answering some listener questions? Let's get to it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is all about answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can, one, email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled Rehearsal Dinner Invitations. I'm really sorry, guys. I wanted to get you like a great alliterative um, title for this question and be creative with it, but I just had nothing in me. So I'm sorry for the very straightforward title. You guys write in with the best titles and names for the questions you submit. Hi, I'm the groom's mom, and my husband and I are hosting rehearsal dinner at a Mexican restaurant. In addition to the parents, grandparents, siblings, bridal party and their spouses or partners, and the officiant, we are planning to invite out-of-town guests. We anticipate that we will have less than 25 people in total at the dinner. We were planning on inviting out-of-town guests from our side of the family informally via phone conversation and then following up with details provided in an email and asking the bride's parents and the couple to contact their out-of-town guests to extend our invitation on our behalf. We were told that there would be three out-of-town guests invited by the bride's parents and estimate that there would be four out-of-town guests invited by the couple themselves. Is this appropriate to ask the bride's parents 
as well as the couple, to extend the invitation on our behalf? Or should we ask the bride's parents and the couple to provide us with the names and addresses of these guests and mail them invitations? If your answer is the latter, can this be done by email or should it be regular mail? Thank you so much. I really appreciate your help, Kristen. Uncle Billy, what do you think? Well, I think, first of all, it's very generous of the the writer to include here the out-of-town guest for the rehearsal dinner. That's not necessary. Right. Um, but with a small group, and if it fits on your budget, it's a thoughtful gesture. Really, rehearsal dinners should not be a big party. They're intended to be a party to thank the people who are in the wedding and close out-of-town friends or relatives for attending the rehearsal mm-hmm. and celebrating that um, the rehearsal went well, hopefully, and and, <laughs> right. and then going on to the wedding. Well, it's um, basically a way that when, you, when you've had all this time in the evening, the night before the wedding, it was kind of like, let us feed you too because you're spending this time with us, you know, helping us with the wedding. Exactly. And you're right. And that's exactly. why out-of-town guests were never usually included. But there has been a trend. I've been to two or three weddings in the last four or five years where uh, everybody at the wedding was invited to the rehearsal dinner. Oh, yeah. That's not bad etiquette. I just don't think it's necessary. It doesn't really serve the purpose of what a rehearsal dinner is supposed to be. And um, you don't need to do it. Having said that, again, let me repeat, there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's just a trend that I don't think is um, necessarily moving in the right direction. One of the things that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is that when you choose to invite people to the rehearsal dinner who aren't kind of the the typical, like we said, bridal party, the people participating in the actual rehearsal, then it's really important to communicate this to them because they're planning their travel needs. If you're only invited to the wedding, and let's just say it's, it's a classic, you're getting married on a Saturday, then they might not need to make travel plans until Saturday morning, depending on how far away they live, or maybe they can fly in on Friday. But if you're inviting them to that rehearsal dinner, they'd need to be flying in on Thursday in order to make it to the Friday rehearsal dinner and then the wedding on Saturday. So it is really important to just be thinking about how this is going to affect people. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And you could run the risk of looking like you're too busy or that these guests aren't important enough for you to act as the host by extending an invitation. And Absolutely. You're talking about if you pass the inviting off to the people that know these guests better than you do. Because let's face it, this is one of the strange things about weddings is that as the host of the wedding or the host of the rehearsal dinner, you are inviting like this other person's family that you may not know. So I can understand the desire to say, oh, well, um, mother and father of the groom, could you please make those invitations? But really... People want to feel like they're being invited by the host. They want to feel like they aren't just a secondary. Like, I think I would feel more comfortable receiving the invitation from the host than from the person I know well. Exactly. If you don't have that invitation personally, then you're likely or it's possible that you might feel, look, am I really supposed to be here? Yeah. So having said all that, here is specifically what we, how we would answer the question. We think that the parents of the groom or whoever is doing the uh, rehearsal dinner, in this case, it's the parents of the groom, should send an invitation written to every person who is being invited to the rehearsal dinner. That's not only the best etiquette, but it's the most considerate thing to do, not only because it's good etiquette, but because of what Lizzie said earlier, people having to make travel plans. So, yes, send an invitation to everybody who's being invited to the rehearsal dinner. You asked about email. My orientation there, and Lizzie's as well, is that you shouldn't do it by email. You should do it by written note. If you listened to last week's show, you'll know how I feel about written notes, whether whether they're thank you notes or invitations or whatever. The one exception might be that if the wedding invitations themselves were sent by email, then I think it would be appropriate to send the rehearsal dinner invitations by email. And you know how we feel about that, that we don't we still have not gotten on that quasi trend. I've been invited to one one wedding via email and it worked. I understood it. But I will tell you. I have lost more wedding invitations and not paid attention to those things when they're done via email as opposed to when I have that invite on my refrigerator for like six months, you know. Well said. I'm, I'm right on board with that. But you're right. If this is a very casual event and, and some weddings just are, then maybe email is going to work. But I like the fact that the advice that we're, we're really giving here is that the host of this rehearsal dinner really needs to be the one issuing the invitation. That is absolutely the bottom line. Absolutely. 
So our next question is about still on the wedding the wedding topic. I guess I that's appropriate for this season. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I was also thinking, you know, you've got Jill's wedding that yeah. you all are planning, yes. so I figured you'd have good thoughts on these wedding questions. Yeah, and, and actually, they 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 raise questions that. Um, have us learning, yes, <laughs> which they is do. good. <laughs> and this one in particular, I learned something here okay. uh, that you mentioned, Lizzie, that okay. we'll talk about in a minute. It's called We Ones Wailing at Weddings. There's the alliteration you were talking about. I try. Yep. Dear uh, Lizzie and Dan, I first learned about your podcast this past winter while enjoying a visit to Stowe, Vermont. Another young woman and I enjoyed polite conversation in the elevator, and she mentioned that one of her favorite podcasts was recorded nearby. Initially, I was impressed that such a chic individual from L.A. was so enthusiastic about a broadcast from what, paren, what I thought to be, close paren, <laughs> a small town in the New England area. Now I, too, am completely hooked and convinced that you live in one of the most beautiful areas of the country. That's very well, nice, I, isn't very it? Very nice, and I happen to agree. <laughs> yes. I don't much care for the weather, but, the, <laughs> but it is beautiful. <clears throat> I love that each week I can test my courtesy knowledge and the way that I would handle scenarios and appreciate the sample scripts that have been helped me to more eloquently navigate my own experiences. There always seems to be a lesson that I can apply to my own life as a young adult, dog mom, future bride, and professional, the latter of which is the motivation for my question today. I feel so fortunate to have a career in the events industry as an independent event planner with the majority of my portfolio based in weddings and other social events. While it's an honor to be a part of someone's special day, wedding professionals often find themselves in interesting situations. Some couples opt to host celebrations for adult family and friends, meaning that children younger than a predetermined age are not invited to the ceremony and or the reception. Other couples look forward to celebrating with the whole family. Younger guests certainly increase the cute factor of these happy events, but they can also be quite unpredictable, whether happy or less so, Babies and younger children can make a lot of noise. <laughs> That's true. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, moments for which you would want to maintain a live sound feed, like the marriage ceremony, the first dance, toasts, etc., are drowned out by the wailing of a wee one. While it doesn't necessarily ruin the day, it can be frustrating for some couples and or their families that have invested in the videographer to capture these moments. The question is not whether babies and younger children should or should not be invited, but at which point the parent or guardian should remove the noisy child to a quieter space so as not to interrupt the formalities or distract other guests. Is it inappropriate for one of the wedding professionals, wedding planner, church coordinator, videographer, etc., to politely make the request for them to step away until the child is more calm? I would not want to contradict the method in which families wish to raise their children, but is a wedding the appropriate setting for this lesson to take place? My industry colleagues and I would very much appreciate your thoughts and advice. Thank you again for your insight. Regards, Jessica. Lizzie, you're on. This is a, a really big conundrum because a lot of people want to celebrate with all of the, the children that they are excited about and have Absolutely. good relationships within mm -hmm. their lives. Obviously, we have kids who play parts in the wedding, like Ring Bearer and Flower Girl or Junior Bridesmaids. And so the idea is that it's so nice to have children at weddings. But then the reality, as this wedding planner has told us, is that there can be many interruptions that occur and some create really wonderful memories and others might be left with a little more of a grudging feeling around the outburst that occurred at that key moment. And yeah, it could ruin the videographer's work or something like that. And these are memories of a very special day people are trying to preserve. And I think that you want to try to balance that. And, well, and, and Lizzie, it's not, it's not just the memories that, yeah. uh, that are being preserved. The and the, it's the distraction for the other guests. Yeah, that's true too. For, for me, that's, that's almost worse because really? the other guests, you, you can enjoy a wedding ceremony when there's a kid two seats down for you crying. Crying. It's just something you or, can't and fussing. block out. And yeah. So I think it's incumbent mm -hmm. on the person who has the child yeah. at the first sign that there's going to be any kind of a disruption. Yeah. Obviously not the very first little burp, but, right. <laughs> but when, when it looks as if the child is getting tired and, and, is, and may not be about to calm down. Needs to, to be changed or to, fed or something. Whatever, yeah. exactly. Is to take the child out of there, and, you know, discreetly. You don't make a big thrash doing it. You just get up and you walk out. <laughs> and you see people do that all the time you and do. you appreciate it. You do. And when people don't do it, it's really upsetting in my view. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily appropriate for us to advise people not to invite children to weddings because I think it's, right. it's nice to do that. Yeah. You had an idea that I thought was terrific. 
You're right. We do have some advice for our wedding planner. The first question that she asks is, is, should we do anything? And you don't walk up and ask a parent to please remove their child. I think it's offensive to the parent, first of all. And second of all, I think you as a wedding planner who is a virtual stranger to this person who is attending a very intimate family or very close friends event Big life moment. And sure, I get that there's a disturbance in that moment right now with a fussy child. But I think that it's it's really important that the uh, event planner understand that these guests have been invited by the couple, that no matter how much the event planner is there to protect the couple and make sure the day goes off the way the couple would like, these are honored guests. This is a big deal to come to someone's wedding. We often forget that because we get invited to so many of them, but it is a big deal. And I think you really need to to have a lot of respect for the fact that these guests are here at a, a, a very important event in their friends and family's lives. And so, right, but but does that mean that the that the wedding planner that there's no options? There's no, nothing to do. No, it doesn't mean that there's no options. But I want to just be really clear that that we are not suggesting the wedding planner go up, tap on the shoulder, and say you need to leave. Please, agreed, absolutely not. Not the way to go. What I would say is I might go up to that parent and offer them an out. So I might say something like, if it's helpful, there's a quiet room just off the front hall, and I could take you both there if you like. That way, it's a choice for the parent. It's not, you should be leaving. Some parents don't believe in removing the child from the situation that that creates a positive reinforcement with, I cry, I get what I want, which is to leave. Now, we don't actually know if the crying child wants to leave and that that's what they're doing. You know, they could be hungry, they could be bored, they could be all kinds of things. But I think that this gives the parent the choice. And what I would do as a follow-up is um, I w- two things. A precursor. Let's go first with a precursor. I would encourage close family and friends of the couple to let parents of young children know ahead of time, you know, before everyone's seated for the ceremony and they're kind of in that gathering time, I would say, hey, just so you know, if Bobby has a moment and is crying or everything, there's a room just off the front hall here um, that you can go to if you need it for a minute or, you know, if you need a place to change him or her, here's the place that you can go. Family and friends spreading that word is a really good way to kind of, um, without overtly saying it, say, if something crops up, please excuse yourself and gives them the option. Absolutely. There's two things about that. Yeah. One, one is the, there needs to be a room. There, Yeah, there does need to be so a designated that, that, space. That should be that should be in Good the planning point. for Good the point. wedding, and and you might take it a step further. And why not hire a babysitter to be in that room and suggest to parents of young children that they can even leave the children there before the ceremony, if that's you, easier. You know, the disruption at the at the reception is not. It's not even a disruption usually. The kids at receptions where there's they're out there on the floor dancing, whatever. Oh, yeah. So the kid doesn't have to stay there for hours, but for the 15 or 20 minutes or hour of the ceremony, depending on the type of ceremony, that having the kids not having come in in the first place, parents might think, gee, what a blessing to be able to go in there, not worry about my kid fussing all the time, and to know Enjoy that he's in the hands the of a babysitter. No, that's a great. That's a really yeah. great point. I think what Billy and I are are trying to really suggest is that you give parents options yes. in this scenario, yes. and the more options you're able to provide, the more likely they're going to be able to engage with one of them, and you'll have that quiet ceremony that you're hoping for. I will say that because these are options you're presenting with someone with, they may not take you up on them. And that just might be part of it. And sometimes you just have to deal with someone who isn't going to take that nice suggestion that you're making. And that I wish they would, but sometimes it happens that and they don't. And when it does, you leave them alone. You leave them alone. The most you could get away with would be if a very close friend or family member happened to be sitting right by and and kind of encouraged the same suggestion. But again, even once someone has, has tapped that shoulder and offered the help rather than suggesting suggested you go take it, but just simply presented it to you. I think that's that's it. If they don't comply, then you just leave it be and you say, this is what happens when you sometimes invite children to weddings. Right. We, don't, we don't want a United Airlines situation We do at a not wedding. want a United <laughs> Airlines situation. We do not want any kind of situation right. like that. So yeah. that, that answers, I think, the question for the wedding planner. But okay. I'd like to finish with just Please. the comment. Any of you who are out there listening to this podcast – or who know people who are at the age where they're going to be invited in w- to weddings and have young kids, 
the first suggestion is try to make arrangements not to bring the child. If, if the child's been invited and the hosts really want the child there and the child starts to be disruptive, just discreetly move out of the range of hearing so that the child doesn't continue to be disrupted to the service. That's, that's just common sense etiquette. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I think it's a, it's a great way to go. And this is one moment when you are at home and with your child and in most of your everyday scenarios, you can work on that corrective Absolutely. behavior in the moment. I think that is the place for it. But someone else's wedding ceremony is not the place for, is it. Not the place for That's it. That's true. And so you want to do your best to really respect the surroundings. Right. Jessica, we hope that gives you some ideas for preemptively handling this as well as in the moment being able to handle it and then also encourage you to have the confidence to just let it go if your helpful offering was not received the way you would like it to be. By such experience, the infant learns the band of family and society. Our next question came in via our Google Voice account, so um, we are going to play it for you now. Hi, my name is Kate. I have a question. My boyfriend is graduating from college early next month, and I'm driving down to attend his graduation, and his family will be there as well. I think just his immediate family. I know that we'll be going out to dinner at least once, probably more times. I'm very sure that the parents will be paying for dinner. I was curious, should I bring a host gift? I definitely plan on writing a thank you note at the conclusion of the weekend's festivities, but I feel like they are hosting me and including me in, in a family event, so I should bring a host gift, but I'm not quite sure what to bring. Their family does have a lot of dietary restrictions, so food is kind of off the table. Any help or advice would be wonderful. Thank you. So there's the question. It's not entirely clear to us from the question whether Kate is staying with the people she's visiting or not, or whether she's just going to be going to the uh, the events, the, the dinner events, events and right? So and forth. Maybe staying with the boyfriend. She's driving or down to the event, but yeah. she hasn't mentioned actually there being a house guest for the weekend. And our answer differs. Yes, it does. Uh, depending on whether she's staying at the house or not. Absolutely. So we will try to bounce back and forth with that. But so I think thoughts, it's thoughts, great. Lizzie? Yeah? What are your I thoughts? just think it's great that she's thinking about this yeah. ahead of time. I'm going to go spend time. And even if I'm not actually their guest at the hotel or the Airbnb or the if they live in that town, their own house, um, she's thinking, you know, I'm going to be treated to probably some nice dinners out throughout this weekend. What's my obligation? I just always think it's great to be thinking and, and prepared and aware. Yeah, and I think that a hostess gift is a lovely idea, yeah. but wouldn't be typical for this type of a situation if she's not staying at the house. Yeah. Obviously, the thank you note, as you said, is yeah. imperative. Oh, yeah. And we're going to answer the question in both ways. We think that if you're staying at the house, you should definitely give a hostess gift. And Lizzie has a couple of suggestions about that. And if you're not staying at the house, you don't need to make a gift for each little dinner you go to, a, pers right. a, pers a personal thank you, and then a, a thank you note at the end is yeah. just fine. Yeah, I would say that th thank yous in the moment are great verbal. And then the one note at the end for everything is great. You, if, you're, if you've got like three dinners out with them, you don't need to write like three notes immediately and hand them in person to them or anything like that. But I would also say that just in case I have been in the situation before where I have been kind of like a guest of the family for a, a long weekend event, something like this. And and sometimes you're just not sure whether someone's going to be picking up the tab or including you in the tab or not. And it is always good to be prepared. So I always think come come with cash or a card just in case so that you're, you can pay your own way and you're not shocked if it happens that maybe you weren't included. I did have it happen to me once that I was someone's guest for a long weekend and we all went out to dinner at one point and it was a big group dinner and sure enough they said to split the bill and the host had pointed to me as one of the people who was included in the split meaning I would take care of my own not that I was included on their tab and I was kind of like Oh, goodness. Okay, yes. Like, I'm glad I was prepared on my own to handle that. But I'll admit I was a little, like, surprised. <laughs> like, it was not the way I had typically been used to that. Let me just Go say ahead. that reminds me of a point that we make in our etiquette business seminars. Yes. Which is that before going out to lunch with your boss or a group of other coworkers or a client, that it's, it's not only okay – but really the right thing to do to discuss who's going to pay for the check before you sit down so that it doesn't get to be an awkward or even a little bit of an argument at the table. That's not what this the question is all about. But it wouldn't 
hurt for her to ask her boyfriend what's going to be the expectation. I agree. And what would be really, really nice, so hosts pay attention, it would be really nice if the mom or dad called up our listener, Kate, and said, we're taking care of everything. Just want to let you know you are our guest for all of these. I mean, that is really the the classic way to go on this, if if you can afford it, of course. That's an excellent point. But I think that's really the way to go. But I like the idea of being prepared. I like the idea of thinking ahead. Um, And if you happen to be staying with them, let's say that you are actually a guest at their home or with them wherever they are staying for this weekend, um, then a thank you gift is absolutely appropriate. And you had mentioned that they have a lot of dietary restrictions and they they might be kind of hard to give to. Last week, Billy gave a wonderful suggestion of, um, you know, a nice vase or bowl that could be given. I think those are excellent gifts. Also, another great gift is a good coffee table book, a topic they're interested in or something that has really fabulous pictures or great explanations of something. So there are a few suggestions for gifts, but I think for the most part, you're going to be in good stead saying thank you at the end of each of these meals or events that you're invited to and then sending a thank you note at the end of the long weekend. As Joan is making plans for entertaining a few of her friends at a buffet supper, she asks advice well ahead of time. She has learned that what is correct in terms of etiquette is also highly practical and logical. This one goes, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just finished listening to episode number 134, in which you had a caller asking about potluck etiquette. And I loved your answer. I'm hoping you can help with my potluck etiquette question and what I can say or do about it, if anything. My friends and I take turns hosting potlucks. I had always operated under the assumption that the host should always do a main dish. However, a couple of friends, when it's their turn to host, contributed either dessert, appetizer, or even the plates and cutlery. It's understandable if they had waited until everybody announced what they're bringing and filled in the gap. But these friends of ours called dibs on these items when the event is first set up, leaving the rest of us the burden of making sure there's enough main entree to be a successful potluck. Have I been working under the wrong assumptions and potluck is a free-for-all regardless of who's hosting? Are plates, cups and utensils, also an item for potluck, or is this a host's responsibility to begin with? If there should be some understanding of what the host should provide, how best can I bring this up without embarrassing anybody? Any help would be greatly appreciated. Much regards, Teresa. This is a tricky one, and I love that our listener mentions that um, that some friends host a potluck and as hosts that they provide the plates. Like, what is that? I don't know. I look at what Teresa is saying, and I think... Oh, my gosh. Of course, the host is supposed to provide the main dish. But you actually convinced me otherwise. Well, only in, in a nuance. Yeah. Uh, the, the plates and utensils doesn't do the trick. You can't just provide the space. That doesn't work that way. I, th- I think that the custom <laughs> is that the host provides the main dish. Yeah. I've been to potlucks where uh, it wasn't just non-alcoholic and there was beer and wine and even hard liquor. And if the host is providing that, that's, uh, I believe, absolutely appropriate. And then the other people can bring the food. That would be actually, frankly, economically more of a burden to the host than providing. <laughs> Potentially, but, you know, yeah. you, you, If you're providing beer and wine and hard liquor, that's fine too. So to rehash, it's not necessary that the host cook a big main dish if they're providing something substantial like the liquor. But otherwise, yes, it would be customary for the host to provide the main dish. Well, and she talks about how it's not like people stepped up and said, we're going to provide the main dish and, you know, oh, I'd really love to bring this to your potluck. Is that okay? This is people actually calling kind of the least burdensome, I don't know how else to put it, items as the host. And that's like when she's saying that they're calling dibs on paper plates and napkins and then asking everyone else to basically bring this big meal to their home, that starts to sound crummy to me. I agree with you. Like, that's like, come on, what's going on here? So. So, so Teresa asked about how she can discuss this with her friends without being offensive or without hurting their feelings. Oh, yeah. and, and this is the way we've handled most of the potlucks we've been. And there what happens is, is that the host 
discusses with the people who are coming what it might be helpful for them to bring. And the host has asked us to bring the dessert. And another couple is bringing a salad, and the host has asked that. The host is providing the liquor in this case and the the, the beverages. And it gets coordinated in advance, and nobody's dibsing everything. Mm -hmm. But the host has taken the responsibility to assign in a nice way. It wasn't, Bill, we want you and Maureen to bring the dessert. It was, how would you and Maureen feel about bringing the dessert? You're asking whether that's in your capabilities to cook or purchase a dessert to bring. So if the next time Teresa does the potluck and she does it that way, her friends who have in the past been dibsing the paper plates at their home will get the picture that Teresa is upping – Volunteering to do the main the main thing, yeah. but she's helping other people understand what to bring, so that practically speaking, you don't <laughs> end up with six hundred meatballs and no salad. Right, exactly. And everybody contributes a, a, a significant amount, and everybody's happy about it. Absolutely. And Teresa, obviously, as Uncle Bill has just said, you host the way that is good and solid and uh, the way that you feel you should. When it comes to talking to your friends who are hosting and immediately calling dibs on the, the paper products, I would say that's their business, how they host. And you can choose whether you're going to go and be a part of that potluck or not. But I don't think that Teresa has the standing to say to her friends, you're hosting potlucks wrong. And it's really rude or inconsiderate of you to be calling. Absolutely. These. Absolutely not. Yeah. And, and that was why I suggested that when she do it correctly, maybe the friends will get the picture we'll get and the think, picture. hey, that wasn't a bad idea. So I'm going to do it. I'll do it that way. And I do want to warn people about potlucks. It, it Traditionally, when people are bringing the, the host cooks the main dish, it's kind of really like a fallback because if anybody can't show up to the party and they're the one who is supposed to be bringing the main dish, boy, as the host, are you really going to be left hanging? So no matter what, if you're the host, even if let's say everyone signed up for other items and you do wind up providing the paper plates, I would say make sure you have enough food on hand personally in your own home or that you bring it to wherever you're hosting this potluck so that if someone isn't able to make it last minute, your guests aren't left without the proper amount of food. That's to excellent advice. From. It's a very good practical advice. But I would I would not call your friends out on this. I would just be a good host myself. Instead. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. remember, you get to choose whether you go to their parties or not. <laughs> it, it almost never works to call somebody out on something. It really doesn't. It didn't doesn't. work in the wedding situation no. with the Wii One. It doesn't work... It, it's like it not our work, advice. <laughs> right. It doesn't work when you're next to an unruly fan. It just doesn't usually work. Exactly. And with that, we are at the end of our questions for today. Thank you so much for sending us your questions. And please send us your updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. As all of you regular listeners know, this is the point in each show where we give you some feedback that we have gotten from various listeners during the course of the week. And this first feedback I thought was quite interesting. In um, episode 135, we heard from a couple who had mixed up the dates for a military event on their calendar and missed the event, only to realize they would be seeing the host of the event very soon. The question was asking how and when they should apologize. Catherine wrote in as a military spouse with her thoughts on the matter, and we were very glad to hear them. And this is good, Lizzie. Why don't don't you read it? This is very good. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I felt compelled to write you about your response to the question about the calendar mix-up that resulted in missing a military social event. I have been a military spouse for over 12 years and dated my now husband for nine years before that, so I have hosted and attended more than my share of military events. The unwritten rules for communications between service members of different ranks plays a large role in how to react in a situation such as this. Depending on the differences in rank between the event host and the absent attendee, how closely they work together, and where they may fall in the chain of command, a phone call the following day to apologize could be completely appropriate or not. An in-person apology on the next working day may be considered more appropriate. Military social norms indicate that most events occurring in a person's home should be followed by a written thank you note within 48 hours. So a written thank you for the invitation and apology for not attending would always be appropriate, phone call or not. 
Thanks, Catherine in Colorado. It seems to be that we may need to do a little, little bit more digging when uh, looking into military social protocol in order to have answered the question more thoroughly. Oh, yes. Um, and Catherine, we are taking note. Thanks for your contribution. That was really a nice letter and well done. Wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And it just it brings to mind that we we don't specialize in military etiquette. Um, We have to be somewhat aware of it for certain circumstances. And I think we we do that fairly well when it comes to writing invitations and really talking about how you address, you know, a lieutenant or a colonel or someone of a ranking, both in written format and when speaking with them. But we we don't go into the details of how to handle things like this. Um, It's a little bit out of our bailiwick. And Which so, appear to be based a lot on rank. They are. And it was so wonderful to have this information. So please, if you do have any military social protocol questions, we do suggest reaching out to um, some type of expert or coordinator within the, the section of military that you and your spouse or partner operate in because they will probably have a better sense. But I just love that. I love anytime someone writes in and lets us know kind of a, a little deeper level of an etiquette that we aren't as thoroughly versed in. So after Dan's postscript segment on stationery in episode 136, we heard from Rachel. Good afternoon, Lizzie and Dan. I am an avid listener to Awesome Etiquette, and I particularly enjoyed your discussion of the stationery wardrobe in the postscript segment of episode number 136. I am a stationery enthusiast, and I could listen to you discuss it all day. (laughs) Dan, I agree with your preference for ecru paper. (laughs) One additional piece of a stationary wardrobe that I have personally found useful is a gift enclosure card. Mine are a very small folded card with my monogram on the front, which fits into a corresponding small envelope. There are so many fun designs and options out there to express your taste and personality, but I've chosen to keep mine simple enough to use with a gift on any occasion. I think of them as a compromise between a gift tag and a greeting card. It allows the gift giver to write more than would fit on a gift tag, but it won't overtake the gift in size and color the way a greeting card envelope might. I also love beautiful and elaborate gift wrap, and sometimes I don't want to attach a full-sized card envelope to my masterpiece. Looking forward to the next podcast episode and the new edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Best, Rachel. I think it's fabulous advice. I'm going to keep an eye out for this. Some a lot, Dan was talking about all the very different pieces of stationery that can come um, or that are at your, your disposal when ordering your personal stationery. And I thought a gift enclosure card was a great idea. I'm that person who's always wrapping the gift last minute, running to the event, and then going, oh, crud, I've got to stop at the store and pick up a card for this thing. I would love to have some little cards that match my stationery. What do you think? I think that's absolutely right. (laughs) It's it's interesting. If you call up a store that provides gifts, you know, wedding gifts and so forth, and you ask them to send a gift to the bride, um, they're going to put in a card and ask you what you want to write on it. Yes. It sort of takes the place of that, and it's more personal. So if you're wrapping the gift and sending it yourself, putting the, uh, that gift card in there is great. also wanted to thank you, Rachel, for the plug for the uh, new, uh, uh, etiquette, edition. The new Etiquette Edition. Um, <laughs> we appreciate that because we're very excited about it. We are very excited about it, and we hope that you enjoy your copy when you get it. Thank you to everyone for sending us your thoughts and updates, and please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. And now it's time for our postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today's postscript is planning a wedding reception seating chart. I figured you might really like this one. <laughs> I, I, this has been a great show for me. I, I, I'd be listening to this even if I weren't participating in it. So Go a ahead, seating chart, you. this is something that drives people nuts when it comes to a wedding. I've seen weddings done as a, a free-for-all, and I will admit I did not enjoy it as much as when I was actually told where to sit for a wedding. Um, I much prefer that. I much prefer yeah. Yeah, getting yeah. told where to sit. And it's so funny because you would think that the freedom and the opportunity to sit wherever you please would be exactly what you want. And yet, for some reason, it it created a lot of clicks at the weddings that I've been to at where I didn't get to know anybody new. I have really appreciated the times where I've been seated with people from both the bride and the groom's side of the family. And our advice when it comes to seating charts is that they are almost always a good idea. You really want to be sure that honored guests, for example, grandparents, have an actual assigned place to sit. It keeps people together. It makes them feel taken care of. Is a good idea. 
Right. There'd be nothing worse than an open seating wedding and having the grandparents not even having a place to sit or or being able to find a table. Yeah, or a table way off in the corner. Clearly, that's the case. This probably goes without saying, okay. but make sure there's a reserve seating for the couple, the, yeah, wedding, right? the wedding party, <laughs> the officiants, the parents, and the grandparents. Those are kind of yep. our key people exactly. that we look toward. Yep. One of the things that I love suggesting to couples is that parents each host a table. So some people do a head table, which might have the whole bridal party or it might have the close immediate family. But I actually think it's really nice when the parents of the couple, and you might have four tables with, you know, depending on how divorces have worked and remarriages have worked. But I think it's really nice when the parents host a table. And usually you would want the officiant to be seated uh, with at least one set of the parents. And usually it's the bride's parents if they have really hosted and planned most of the wedding. And this goes without saying, separate divorced parents unless they request to be seated at the same table. I have been to weddings where the, uh, all four of the parents are taking place, in the, even actually in the ceremony itself, and they want to be seated at the same table, but that's not usual. So do separate divorced parents. Absolutely. Um, and when you do separate them, don't then just put them at tables that are neighboring to each other. <laughs> you know, you like really right, right, right. put that separation in there if it's needed and only if it's needed. Right. Uh, You also really want to think about seating plus ones together with the people who brought them. Now that, again, these all seem very obvious, but you would be surprised once you start moving um, people around tables and everything, all of a sudden you can come up with a plan that you think is fabulous. And the next thing you realize, you've separated people who are actually bringing plus ones. So your goal is that you want families and guests to meet and mingle, but make sure that a guest or a couple knows at least one other guest or couple at his or her table. Try for a congenial mix For instance, people of similar ages like to sit together. Absolutely. And I think that's the key word in there is mix. I have been to plenty of weddings where I've known nobody there. So so the couple would not have had the chance to put me with someone I know. But they've put me with people either of my age or who might be interested in the work I do. Or there's some kind of commonality. And I've often found the bride or groom will come tell me, oh, I've seated you with my cousin so-and-so because I really think you guys would have a fun time talking about such and such. It gives me something to go off of, which is so great. Right. And how, how would you feel about mixing um – groom's guests with bride's guests at a table. I think that's a good idea. I absolutely agree. I think it's a wonderful especially, idea. Especially where the ages are the same. Yeah. People get to know each other and, and so forth. Um, my son met his wife at his sister's wedding. Yes. My, at my son's sister, at his stepsister's wedding. Yeah. Um, and she was a bride's guest and he was the groom's guest. And, and that's the way it worked. That's and so, the way it worked. So anyway, um, yeah, it doesn't hurt to mix, to, to mix the, the, the guests from the different parties at the wedding. Absolutely. This all might sound a little complicated, but it's really not. Best ways I've seen maneuvering through planning out the seating charts. Color code your guest list. Put your own relatives in one color. Put the bride's relatives in one color. Put the groom's relatives in another. And then do a third color for the couple's friends. You could separate the friends. You could do the bride's friends in one color and the groom's friends in another color. You can grab a whiteboard or sticky notes or whatever works for you. And you put each guest's name on their coordinating color. And then you just start plugging your your little flags or your little tabs, whatever you've written the names on around the tables and you can start moving things left, right and center. And you know, you've got a great seating chart when the whole thing just looks like a nice mixed rainbow. (laughs) Right. You start with the parents' tables, of course, and then you map out your seating arrangements and the different colors will show if a table has too many of his relatives or friends and needs to be balanced and so forth. And as Lizzie just said, once it looks like a well-coordinated rainbow, you've got yourself a good seating chart. I want to end by saying my mother really encourages whenever we're giving this wedding etiquette advice to not look at this as a very daunting task. My aunt had about 125 people at her wedding and they were able to plan the seating chart in about 45 minutes in just a casual session together. So don't worry. This, the seating chart doesn't have to be this massive, complicated thing. Um, get your color coding together, get a couple of people, a couple of voices together, and you're going to have this thing knocked out in, in an hour, hour and a half tops. Very well said. And I think uh, that's really good advice and it's going to help people uh, because it shouldn't be a daunting task. Do you think it'll help you when it comes to Jill's wedding? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You're like, no, no, no. But it I'm would. staying out of that one. <laughs> we'll let Jill do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and Maureen. 
We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and it can come in so many forms. This one comes appropriately right after we had a great conversation with Dan and Pooja about those first few months at home with a new baby. Rena is writing to us to salute her friends Audrey and Michael on being new parents and doing it so well. Here's what she writes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I would love to send an etiquette salute to my friends Audrey and Michael. Last week, these two welcomed their first child into their lives and are currently in the throes of new parenthood. The baby is only nine days old, and I am already so impressed by the etiquette these two are consistently displaying, despite their lack of sleep and adjustment into their new roles. The day after they came home from the hospital, I offered to come over with some takeout for dinner as I imagined they had been too flustered to cook. Michael greeted me at the door and told me to go ahead upstairs to see Audrey and the baby. While I was visiting and saying hello, Michael neatly arranged all of the takeout food to set up dinner for us and was the ever-gracious host, offering to get me a drink or see if I needed anything. Just yesterday, when I was helping to tidy up after a small family gathering to welcome the baby, they decided to open the gifts people had dropped off. But before they began, Audrey said, oh, wait, let's get a pen and paper. As they opened the gifts, they took notes on who gave them what, their reactions to it, and things they wanted to remember to compliment the gift giver on when writing the thank you cards. This couple has always been a champion of consideration, respect, and honesty, so perhaps I shouldn't be surprised that they've so seamlessly incorporated it into this new stage in their lives. But I thought they deserved a shout-out for being so wonderful when it would have been excusable to be less than that. Thanks so much for your delightful podcast, Rena. Just one little comment about that. It's very common um, for people to make notes when they're opening presents listing who gave them what. Yes. What I like about this, they wrote comments about how, what they thought about it and what kinds of things they could say in their thank you note so that they could get it really personalized. I thought that was terrific. Right. Isn't that just great forethought? Oh, well, we love it. Rena, thank you so much for that etiquette salute. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate everyone who has sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, at Daniel underscore Post, or at Lizzie, capital A, Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. And our show is edited by Chris Albertine. 